good morning. It's good to be with you guys this morning. Um, before we get into our passage, so I want to encourage you guys, if you've got a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be spending time in verses 22 to 38. So it's Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 38. Uh, should be up there. So the title of the sermon is, What Do You See? Um, so let's turn there, and then um, hopefully all you guys are here by now. So I'm going to spend some time praying for us again. Uh, asking God to continue to move among us and to be with me as I speak to you guys this morning. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. As we read your word, you compel us to respond either in humility, repentance, and faith, or in utter rejection towards you, Father God. I pray that this morning, as we spend time in Luke chapter 2, that you would guide us, help us to see who Jesus is and shape our response as we go into this um, holiday and festive season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, some of you guys know that one of my favorite movies is The Lion King. And so I've got a picture up here. Um, if the screen guys can help me up real quickly. Is it up there? Oh, it's not that clear. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But I want to talk through this picture. You guys remember this scene in The Lion King? You know what's happening here? Simba's just born, and then, every, well, not everyone, all the animals are there. And um, it's, it's basically a big celebration. And then Rafiki, who happens to be a witch doctor, anyway, is presenting Simba, right? And so, firstly, I want to talk through what Mufasa sees when that scene is happening in, uh, in the movie there. Mufasa sees his beloved son, right? He sees the future king of Pride Rock. So when he looks at Simba, he is proud. He is, he is jeered up. He's like, yes, I've got an heir. When, once I'm done, this guy is taking over all of this. The animals who are there, the moment Rafiki lifts Simba up, they, they go wild, right? They ululate, they sing, they praise, they dance as any animals could be animated to do. And they rejoice because they see before them what? Their future king. The one who's going to lead them. And so they respond in reverence to him. And it's appropriate. That's what should happen when you see your future king. But what does Scar see? During this wonderful scene in the movie, Scar is hiding out in his cave. He's hunting for mice. He calls it breakfast. I mean... When Scar sees Simba, he doesn't see his future king. He sees a threat. And so what he sees in Simba causes him to respond the way he responds. Now, why am I busy telling you about the scene here in Lion King? Because the point I'm trying to make and the point that this passage is going to be making for us today is that how we view Jesus shapes how we respond to him and what we believe about him. Or maybe it's the other way around, right? How we view Jesus shapes what we believe about him, and that shapes what we, how we respond to him. And so whether you intend to or not, I mean, we sing a song here at Parkhurst. I don't know if we sang it today. There's a bridge we sing. It says, uh, every moment of our days. Did you sing it? Ah, oh, I didn't sing it. You guys know the song? But basically, the, 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 main, the main 
premise of this song, it's basically telling us of a reality that's true for us every day. Everything we do is done before the eyes of our God and is a response to Him. Every, whether you intend to or not, whether you like it or not, every moment of all your days is a response to who, what you think about who Jesus is. And so when we turn to this passage here, the question before us is, what do you see? In the first two chapters of Luke, they really focus on these two characters. Um, they're basically introductions to the whole book. David did a great job of preaching through chapter 1. And in chapter 1, basically we're told about the birth story of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, right? On the one hand, we've got an elderly couple, John's parents. And on the other hand, we've got this young, unmarried couple. And both of them receive a divine promise that one day they're going to conceive and bear children. They're going to miraculously conceive and bear children. And they're going to give birth to sons. As both Jesus and John are conceived, their parents sing this wonderful song of praise. Each of them sing a different song, but both their songs are just packed with Old Testament promises that Luke is trying to show us that are fulfilled in these guys coming. And so we're going to be focusing mainly on chapter 2, but the latter parts of it. And in this section, we're just going to be focusing and dealing with four main things about what we see in this passage about Jesus. And so the first thing we're going to see is Jesus is written in the law. Jesus is a comfort, is, is a comfort promised by God. Jesus is a person born to die, and Jesus is the good news to be shared. And so my hope today is that once we're done with this, you, your, your view of Jesus would be shaped so that you would respond in an appropriate way during this festive season. I'm not a Christmas Debbie Downer. You know, my wife knows that uh, I don't enjoy American Christmas. I like South African Christmas, you know. We need to make decorations that are like a bourrevos or a bra, you know, like, Get me those kinds of decorations for my tree, you know? Or a swimming pool. Imagine a little ornament of a swimming pool. That'd be cool, right? But even with all the celebration that is to come, our response is to Jesus. And I want to compel us. I want to compel us. Let's not be like the rest of the world, but let us be shaped in an appropriate way by what we see about who Jesus is. So my first point, Jesus is written in the law. So when we get to verse 22... So when we get to verse, verse 22, actually, I'm going to read the whole passage. I haven't read the whole passage even. Let me read the whole passage, and then I'm going to dive into it. Is that okay? All right. So Luke chapter 2, from verse 22 all the way to 38, it says, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit, into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer, night and day, and coming up at the very hour she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him, him being Jesus, to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. This is God's word. And so as we come to our first point here, my first point is Jesus is written in the law. We're looking at verse 22 to 24 here. It says, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem. Now, there's two ceremonies taking place here in this passage. The one is a purification ceremony. Can you see that? Purification according to the law of Moses. And then the other, that is basically a baby dedication. But what's important to note as I explain what these ceremonies are, is that Mary and Joseph are walking in accordance to what? The law of the Lord. That phrase, the law of Moses, the law of the Lord, that it's repeated three times in that section, so we've got to pay attention to it, right? Now Leviticus 12 explains to us that after giving birth, women were declared unclean for about 44 days, and after the 44 days had passed, they were required to come. You know, if you're looking at me with eyes wide open, it's real. Women were declared unclean. 44 days. <laughs> and they were, declared, they, were, they were required to come to the temple and offer a sacrifice so that they can be made clean. A lamb for a burnt offering and a pigeon for a sin offering. This is what they needed to do. Either a, one was a lamb, offer it as a burnt offering, and the other was a pigeon for sin offering. But if a family couldn't afford that, they could bring two pigeons, which is what we see here with Jesus, right? I, th I think this is really cool for me. I mean, this is not part of the point, but it's just really cool that Jesus wasn't born into a wealthy family. I mean, Jesus was humble enough, or is humble enough, to be born as a baby. And then he's even more humble enough to be born into poverty. I mean, his family couldn't afford the lamb, and so what did they do? They just brought pigeons. Anyway. Let's go back. So why is this purification so, so important? Well, God's people were given laws in the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament, I love reading the Old Testament. One of my, one of my life goals is to read the Old Testament in Hebrew. So, Michaela, I'm coming to you soon. Um, but in the, Old Testament, in, the, in the Old Testament, God's people were given laws. These laws shape their customs and their practices. And these customs and practices distinguished them from other nations around them. By living in line with God's law, God's people showed themselves to be what? God's people. 
It's kind of like, I mean, one, one example I thought of was like uh, the World Cup is going on, you know? Like anthems and flags are just one way that demarcated nations and their differences from each other. But it's just a small way, right? God's people had his law. And so that's the first reason why God's people, so that's the first reason why the ceremony is important. It's part of God's law. Second, God's law helped God's people wrestle with the significance of God's holiness and their own sinfulness. So not only were they given law so that they can be distinguished from other nations, but they were given law so that they would recognize that God is holy and that they need him. And so when a woman gave birth and they recognized that she wasn't clean, and there were other laws like this for men as well. Uh, I mean, you can, you can read Leviticus. I found so many laws that were pointed and directed to me. I didn't know. I had to read this. This is why it's nice to study the Bible, because they get, you know, new stuff. Yeah. Anyway. So there's so many laws that were there. And so for a woman who, was, who had given birth, she would have known that, oh, now that I've given birth, I'm ceremonially unclean. And I've got to participate in this thing that reminds me again that God is holy and that I need him. And the only way a person was made clean was how? Through the shedding of blood. There's no water involved. There's no bath involved. They had to go to Jerusalem and they had to go kill something, shed blood, so that that would stick as an image for them, that they are God's people and that God, who is holy, is making them clean by this, by this ceremony right here. Isn't that amazing? One of the, but the only thing about these sacrifices is that they were temporary. They pointed to a final solution. These were temporary, pigeons and doves and birds, all these were temporary solutions that pointed to a final solution. In Hebrews 10, 1 to 4, it says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. It can never make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscious, a consciousness of sin. You don't take a bath before you take a shower. Right? Verse 3, Hebrews verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. There is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. God wanted them to reckon with the fact that they needed him. That's good. That's good news. And so when we see that in God's law, it's written this promise that one day someone's going to come and make us clean forever. When they did this, they looked forward to that. That's the beauty and the power of the ceremony. I think Luke puts it here because he's trying to point at something that I'm going to get to just now. Let's talk about the presentation or the dedication for a minute. In Exodus 13, we read the story of this dedication and where it comes from. I'm reading from Exodus 13, 
It says, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belong to me, whether human or animal. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both peoples and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offering of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Why is the presentation important? Verse 16, the meaning and purpose of this practice is rooted in the Exodus, and it serves as a sign and a symbol of how God was faithful to save his people out of Egypt. Remember the story of the Passover? When God killed the firstborn of everything, including Pharaoh's son. And this led to his people being set free from a land of slavery. That's how it's defined. That's the adjective. Egypt is the land of slavery. It's like Brakpan. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. I don't enjoy Brakpan particularly. Anyway. But that's the story of the Passover, right? It was to set his people free. Exodus tells us this is why Israelites had to consecrate their firstborn. They would kill the firstborn of every animal, of any animal, and then they would offer a sacrifice to redeem the firstborn of their own children. I mean, we do things like this in our culture today. I mean, who here doesn't celebrate an anniversary or a birthday? We make far more expensive sacrifices than pigeons and, and goats so that we can actually celebrate those wonderful days. That means something to us, right? And it's not wrong. I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, it's not wrong. We do this in our culture. I mean, just yesterday we were celebrating Greg and Amy because they fell pregnant. It was like, yay, you got one. Yeah. And we made a lot of sacrifices of money, time, our own health. We make sacrifices, whether they're blood or not. We do this. It's, it's, it's something that we do. And so these custom, this particular custom of dedicating their child was a unique one for families and their participation in it. It pointed back to the Exodus. It pointed back to that redemption. And that redemption, what does that redemption look forward to? That redemption looked forward to Easter. This is why we celebrate Easter, guys. This is one of the reasons why we celebrate that redemption that happened in Egypt. It points forward to how God will finally redeem all of his people. And at the center of all of this is Jesus. I mean, I don't have time to try and prove all of this, but it does. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we celebrate at Easter. God passes over our sins. Why? Because he hangs his son on the cross. His blood is shared. We are sitting in this room worshiping here because that happened. That was foretold, as Hebrews tells us, in the Exodus. 
It was a shadow of what was to come, or it's a shadow of what has come. And at the center of all of this is Jesus. And Luke here, in these first two verses, he's trying to make it emphatically clear that Jesus is the fulfillment of this law. Jesus, the creator of the universe, he's born under the law. You know, just before this, Jesus, Jesus was circumcised. The king of the universe was circumcised. He's humble enough to participate in these rituals to identify himself so that he can fulfill this law. He is written in the law. He is the one to fulfill all of these things. And so if that's the case, what should we, how should we respond? Luke is abundantly making it clear, and he's going to make it clear throughout the entire book of this gospel, that Jesus is the fulfillment of these things. Simeon and Anna give us a glimpse of how we should be responding to him. And so as we move towards our second point, which is Jesus is a comfort promised by God, we're going to focus and we're going to have a look at how how do these verses tell us that Jesus is a comfort promised by God? You know, verse 25 and verse 26, they, they, they mainly focus on Simeon as a character. I mean, when you read this, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So why do I say Jesus is a comforter or Jesus is a comfort promised by God when these verses are speaking about Simeon? Let me tell you. Firstly, I just want to note that we don't get a lot of information about who Simeon is. As I was preparing this, uh, I was reading a whole bunch of commentaries and a lot of guys make a lot of speculations. I mean, I'm not trying to say they're wrong or anything, but they make a lot of speculations which I'm not, I don't necessarily align with about who this guy is. But, and the reality is there's not a lot we know about the guy. We don't know how old he is. We don't know where he's from. There's no information about his vocation. All we get is a name, Simeon, and his character. And this is unusual for Luke. Because when Luke writes this, when Luke writes this account, he makes a promise to Theophilus. He says, I'm trying to write you an orderly account. I'm trying to write you something that's well-researched and that's well-detailed. And, and, and like, if you have a look at verse 37 where he speaks about who Anna is. He gives us everything. He tells us who she is. He tells us who's, who her dad was. This lady is a widow way, way beyond 87, but he tells us all this detail about Anna. Luke never spares detail, but for some reason here, he does it. And so what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, let's get into, let's get into Simeon's character. The significance of Simeon being Righteous and devout simply meant that this guy had a good reputation with people around him and he was devoted to God's law. And we just spend time breaking down what's written in God's law. And that's what Simeon was devoted to. I mean, an easier way to explain uh, Simeon's character, we, uh, today we describe Simeon as just a solid godly guy. Simeon was a solid jet, eh? And it tells us why, because he, was, he had a good reputation around, with people around him and was devoted to the law. Now the phrase, waiting for the consolation of Israel, gives us a deeper insight into his character because it kind of shows us what's at the root 
of his character. His devotion, his righteousness compelled Simeon to be a guy who lives a life of waiting. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. This is what, this is what was shaping his character. He was waiting for something that he believed was coming. And that shaped the kind of guy he was. That's what was orientated around his life. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, the first, the, the phrase consolation of Israel was just another way for Jews to refer to the coming Messiah. That word consolation, it can be also translated as an advocate who pleads the cause of another. Or it can be translated as comforter, which is the way which is why I think Luke uses it here, because that's what Isaiah says about this guy, this Messiah that Simeon is waiting for. If you read in Isaiah 40, verse 1 to 2, it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. This is what shaped Simeon's devotion and his character. What he read in the law, passages like these that spoke of a coming comforter. Another passage like this is Isaiah 42, 1-4. It says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold. Now listen to these words. I mean, these, these sound very familiar because they are, they're, just, they're about to be said in Luke's gospel. They're about to be said in Luke's gospel. It says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged. Till he establishes the justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait. What do they wait for? They wait for his law. It's in these passages that Simeon's devotion is shaped. It's in the promises that are stored up in them that Simeon's character is shaped. Simeon believed in the promises that these passages were conveying. There was someone who was coming who was going to do exactly that. And so he lived a life of waiting. As I was preparing this, I was overwhelmed by how devoted I am to other things in my life other than God. Most of these things are good things. I mean, it's my wife, um, my kid, hobbies, my job. All these things are good things. But what happens is that because my devotion is in these things and not God, God then becomes this divine ATM who I just do transactions with to help me be more devoted to these other things. Right? Maybe it's just me. But I think we all do this. We're all devoted to other things and are happy to just use God as this divine ATM we just do transactions with to help us be more devoted to these other things that we think are more important than he is. And we got the world 
and Satan and our own flesh continuously pounding and impelling us to do that, to move away from devotion to the one who matters the most. And the problem with this is that if our devotion is to our families, our hobbies, our jobs, like Simeon, we wait and we expect things from our families, hobbies, and jobs that they can never be. Things that only God can be. Our jobs, our families, our hobbies were never meant to be these false messiahs that we often make them out to be. Simeon's devotion was shaped by the promises of God, and so he was devoted to God, and therefore waited expectantly for the promises of God. I'll say that one again. Simeon, Simeon's devotion was shaped by the promises of God. And so he was devoted to God. And therefore, he waited expectantly for the promises of God. So what does this have to do with Jesus? Why is Jesus our comfort? Because that's who is exactly promised in those promises that Simeon is holding on to. At the end of verse 25, you read that Simeon was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit promised him that he would not see death until the Messiah was there. That's an Old Testament promise. Simeon was affirmed by the Holy Spirit that the Messiah is coming. And as we move to this next section here, we're going to see why this is so significant. Because when Simeon saw Jesus, he was compelled to worship. Our next point is Jesus is a person born to die. And we're looking at verse 27 to 35. And you see there that the Holy Spirit is the one who leads Simeon into the temple. He's about to meet this comforter he knows is promised in the Holy Spirit. And he knows is promised in the Old Testament. And the Holy Spirit is the one who leads him into the temple so that he and Jesus can cross paths at finally. Both of the promise that God has made in the Old Testament and the promise that God has made to him is about to be fulfilled. God in his grace rewards Simeon and says, Here. And so when Simeon saw Jesus, he's compelled to worship. Simeon didn't need to see miracles of healing and the feeding of the 5,000. Simeon didn't need to hear Jesus' authoritative preaching. He didn't need to see him die or be raised up again. No. The moment that Simeon lays his eyes on Jesus Christ, the, the power of the Holy Spirit that was in him says, there. There's the guy you've been waiting for. There's your king. There's the one written in the law. There's the comforter of God's people. There is the sacrifice that will purify the nations forever. So when Simeon lays his eyes on little baby Jesus, he sings his song. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your words. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to all your people. That song is just packed with all these truths that I just spoke about now. You're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. God, you are faithful. 
from our eyes have seen your salvation. In Jesus, Simeon saw the promises of Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 42. But this one, this one is unique. For a Jew to say this, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And glory to your people. Simeon recognizes that God's salvation is not limited by geography or ethnicity. It's for everyone. It's an amazing song, and it fills Mary and Joseph with awe, not because of what he's saying in the song here. I mean, that's significant because all of that is in the law. Everything that Simeon is singing, we've just spoke about, it's in the law. Jesus Christ is, the, is these things. He is the comfort of God's people. But the song filled, with, filled Mary with awe because, I mean, this dude is only 44 days old. Jesus Christ at one point was 44 days old. I've got a picture of, of uh, my son at 50 days old. Boo. Anyway, I'll WhatsApp it to you. But <clears throat> if you see that, that's JT there at 50 days old, and that's Olivia there, you know, smitten by how pretty he is and how he looks like me. Um, but that's, that's 50, you know. That's just six days shy, or oh, just six days more, which, how old Jesus was. Isn't that crazy? Like when I thought about that. I mean, I love trying to search this picture because, you, you know, you go through all the pictures. And I went through all the pictures from birth. I'm like, okay, he was born on the 4th. Okay, where's, 50, where's 44 days? You know, because we have all those pictures. Anyway, but it was at this age that Mary and Joseph learned all this stuff about their son. And what this, what's the next thing Simon says to them? He says, Luke says, he blesses them and says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. But what? You know? Like when Mary was promised that he would conceive, or that she would conceive. I mean, she knew she, she actually sang songs of praise. But when the rubber hit the road, and Jesus was right there, and they had to circumcise the king of the universe, I can only imagine what was going on in their minds. And so Simeon comes. He doesn't even ask. He just grabs this baby and is like, yay. You know? The Lord is letting me rest in peace. Yeah. This is the salvation of Israel. Mary and Joseph were devout people. That's why they obey the law. We saw that in verse 22. They were devout people. So when Simeon is saying all these things, alarm bells are going through their mind. And she's like, what the heck? My son? I can just only imagine that. I've got to wrap this up. But I just thought this was such a powerful thing. I mean, listen to what he says. Appointed. That means it's pre, preordained. Someone came to me and says, hey, don't worry, YZ, JT is just gonna, is appointed to be killed you know, for a couple of things, you know, just saving people in the world. I'd be like, oh, thank you, but no thanks. You know? It's a hard thing to hear. And he says, a sword will pierce your own soul also. And so when you look forward into the gospel and Mary is looking at her son, that's her son. And birth is no gain. I was in there, you know, when it was going down for my wife. I love my wife, man. After that, I loved her more. I bought her sushi. That's my wife's favorite food. 
Birth is no gain. Parents see their children and they see, like when parents look at their children, they see their babies. Mary had to see her baby hang on a cross. Mary had to learn that her baby was the king who was destined to bleed and die. So that you and me today can worship. I don't have anything against gammon. But this is far worth more than gammon to me. A king who bleeds and dies so that we would live forever. That's who Jesus was. He was the guy who was born to die. And as we come to verse 36... We finally get to Anna here. We see that Simeon, as unhinged as Simeon's worship was, Anna's worship was equal. And notice what Anna's doing here. She's just a fly on the wall. She's just, you know, listening in, eavesdropping. What's going on here? She also lived a life of devotion, and God in His grace said, I'll bless you to see and hear as well. She didn't need to hear Jesus preach wonderful. She didn't need to see Jesus walk on water. She didn't need to see Jesus turn into wine. The testimony of a devout and righteous man was enough. And that compelled her to worship. There's only two ways to respond to Jesus. There's no fence. There's either worship or rejection. When Anna comes at that very hour, eavesdropping, she begins to thank God. Worship compels us to reorientate our lives around who is our King. Jesus Christ is our King. He is good news to be shared. It is good to have a king. We live in a world that tells us that you should be your own person, your own individual, your own this, your own that. I strongly disagree with that. You know, as a, part of my studies was I had to do a lot of church history, and I love church history. And one of the most powerful things I learned about Um, The Middle Ages, and the Middle Ages is pretty late really, but in the Middle Ages, people understood that it was right for them to have a king. There wasn't a desire for freedom to be individual. It was, no, we want a good king. There was either good kings or bad kings, and people wanted a good king. They understood that having a good king was worth more than having no king. So they longed for good kings. That's how we were made. We were designed to be ruled. And we have a king who bled and died for us. If that's what you see here, it's either you are worshiping him, reorientating your life around him, or you're rejecting him. There's no two ways about it. 
both of these guys, both of these people, Simeon and Anna, they were compelled to worship when they saw their king. The only other response, as you read the rest of this Gospel of Luke, is an utter rejection of him. Read the account of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, Jesus Christ's crucifixion. How they mock and they scoff and they scorn. That's the only other response. And so as I come to a conclusion finally, I want to ask you, I want to implore you, as we race away to Christmas, seven days away, I want to encourage you, look, look. What do you see? How does your response, how does your, how does your plans compel you to respond to Jesus? We are going through the works in our country at the moment. I mean, there's, this generator is a good symbol and sign for us that we are going through the works right now. I mean, this week my wife and I just spent some time praying, just feeling just so disheartened and discouraged. You know, we long for good leaders. We know what good leadership can do, right? And we, we are feeling the effects of that as a country. And it just broke my heart. But what I believe about Jesus shaped my response. And I'll admit, I was the one depressed on the couch, and my wife said to me, let's, let's pray. Because what we believe about Jesus shapes how we respond to all things. We're going to celebrate, we're going to have holidays, we're going to spend time with family and friends, it's going to be great. A couple of us are playing golf on Tuesday, I'm excited for that. I'm seeing my mom tomorrow, she's not the best person to see, but hey, Jesus has blessed me with her. And I'm going to respond in worship to him, so help me, God. Jesus is the good news to be shared because when we respond in worship to him, that's exactly what we do. When our family asks me, how do I respond to all of these situations and circumstances? I hang here and I say, Jesus is the good news. I'm going to worship him, my God and my king who, who bled and died for me. Luke is bent on making it clear that this is the guy that we've all been waiting for. He is the fulfillment. Anna shares this with everyone who's waiting for the same thing. And she says, the guy is here, whether they believe him or whether they believe her or not, I don't know. But she says, the guy is here. Our redemption has arrived. I've seen him. And she worships. I want to encourage us to do the same. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace towards us. We pray, God, that you continue to be with us. Holy Spirit, would you open the eyes of our hearts. Let us behold our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us come to your word, O God. Let us behold you. Let that shape how we live our lives. All the plans we make for the rest of this year, our holidays, how we spend time with friends and family. 
let what we see about Jesus Christ shape that in us. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. 